going to start with something this morning that's going to shade the way you look at me from now on. And that might not be for the better, uh, but I've got to be honest, I'll be a little bit confessional. I really like superheroes a lot. Um, I said it, and you can deal with it, but, but I really really like them. And I know that you're thinking, as a man in your 30s, you should probably get over that, Jordan. I get it. I should grow up. But I really like them. A whole lot. And honestly, it's not all superheroes. I mean, to be fair, there's, there's one that rises to the top, and it's one that rises far above all others. He's the greatest of all. You all know who I'm thinking of. Superman. See? Good. Good. Superman is the greatest of all superheroes. He is good. He is moral. He is an alien. He is the best. And there's no debating it. And I know most of you disagree. But that's why when Batman versus Superman came out a couple of years ago, I was very concerned how were they going to do justice to this character? I had seen the movie before, The Man of Steel, and, well, I was a little underwhelmed. And I knew it was the same actor. I knew it was the same world. And, and the question in my mind was really, if Batman and Superman really fought, there really wouldn't be a fight. All Batman has is money and gear. He's not even that strong. He would wipe the floor with Batman in a hurry. And I was genuinely concerned with the fate of this film. I was so concerned that I did what all of us do, what all of you would do if you were concerned about a film. That's funny, by the way. <laughs> it's it's not even a real baby. I love it. I love it. Have to go there. Sorry. It was, it was distracting me a little bit. But back to the point. I did what all of us would do when I heard about this movie. I went and looked at the reviews. And I don't know if you've looked at the reviews of this film. But on Rotten Tomatoes, this film got 27%. Ah. <sighs> I had my nerves about this movie anyway. I was very nervous about this film. I thought, oh no, what have they done to destroy this, this incredible opportunity to show the greatest of all superheroes and they've butchered it. How awful. But I have a friend who's a movie critic, a friend who, who does this on the side and has really become pretty famous for doing it. So I went over to his site to look at his rating and I expected, after seeing 27%, he's probably going to give this 12%, because he, he can be pretty harsh. And so I looked at this film, I looked at this review, and to my dismay, he gave this film 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10? All the critics have said this is a terrible film, but he gives it 9 out of 10. How could he do that? Why would he do that? So I had to read the article, and there are three reasons that he gives this film incredibly high marks. 
The first one is this. In a world of superheroes, their actions would have real consequences. You can't blow up a building and nobody be mad about it, <laughs> which is the world of superheroes. And so this movie deals with consequences. The second thing is that he believed that the, that the plot of the film was unpredictable, that he couldn't just assume it was going here. He had to see where it was going, and he was surprised a couple of times. But the third reason is the one I liked the most. He said there's a theme of power and sacrifice that was clear and compelling throughout this film. So I'd heard good reviews, I had seen bad reviews, and it was time for me to go watch the film. And I watched it. And I gotta tell you, this Friends review was spot on. And I had no idea that I would like this movie as much as I did. It took his enthusiasm for it his perspective that was different from the general perspective in order for me to see the beauty and the, the, the goodness of this film that was not viewed that way by most. And this is going to feel like a really strange segue, but I promise it makes sense in my mind. <laughs> the Gospel of John is kind of like Batman versus Superman. And let me tell you why. John doesn't begin the way other Gospels begin. Matthew begins with this long genealogy of Jesus. 28 generations of people to Jesus. It's strange. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it's the way Matthew begins. Mark begins with, here's the Gospel. Jesus got baptized. Mark gets to the point quick. He just jumps into the story. Luke, he says, hey, I've got this friend Theophilus that I'm writing this to, and I'm setting out to make an orderly account of the things that happened. And he defends his book before he even starts it. But John, John does something strange. He just jumps into the deep end immediately. He doesn't save the big reveal for the end. He begins with it. He lays it out there. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And about 12 verses later, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he finishes, we have seen his glory, glory of the, the Son of the Father. He is making a claim. Verse 1. Jesus is God. And that's how he starts. <laughs> Where does the book go from there? John can appear as a loose cannon compared to some of the other gospel writers. That's the way that some commentators see John. Is he just kind of says it. He doesn't really set it up. He doesn't really think it through. He just says it. I think John is better understood as being enthusiastic about Jesus. Just having this perspective, because of his experience of having been with Jesus, he has to tell the story in this way. John is answering the question of what it's like to have been with Jesus, and he has to start with the most profound claim of all, Jesus is God. What do we do with that? 
if you allow yourself the opportunity to listen in to John, I think his enthusiasm becomes infectious real quick. And he can draw us into these ginormous claims about Jesus that he's not skirting around. He comes right out and says some of the things that the other gospel writers just hint at. So as we look at this text this morning, as we look at some of the things John says, I encourage you just to let this gospel sink in. We're in a series right now about light, and the text this morning is from John chapter 1, verse 4. It reads like this, in him was life, and the life was the light to all people. I want to say two things about light this morning, two things that I think are important, and then we're going to focus on life for a little bit, but let's begin with light. And the first claim I want to make about light is that Jesus is light. He is. Jesus is light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus makes this claim about himself twice. Again, in John chapter 9, verse 4, he says, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So when we think of light, we need to think of Jesus because Jesus is light. Simple. Second thing is that Jesus is also the source of light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he continues. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus gives light to his followers. As a church, it is our belief, it is our conviction that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about being in the light, we are talking about discipleship. We are talking about following Jesus, because if we follow Jesus, we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. This is a promise from Jesus. But in the same way, Jesus is life. John chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus tells his disciples that just as God, just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that. John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. John chapter 11, Jesus is the resurrection and life. Church, Jesus is life. He's also the source of life. John chapter 5, verse 21, the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. It's up to him. He gives it. John chapter 5, verse 40, he says, you refuse to come to me to have life. He's having this argument with Pharisees who are looking for him, and he's right in front of them, and they don't see him. He is the source of life. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the source of life. 
And the abundant life that we search for, the abundant life that we desire is found in Jesus. It is what we are after as his disciples. It is what Jesus came for. It is what Jesus desires for us. And abundant life is found only in Jesus. So as disciples of Jesus, we are recipients of life. Jesus gives us life. Paul says that in him we live and move and have our being. We possess life because Jesus gives us life. Now, when I was in fifth grade, my parents decided to take us on a small vacation. It was one summer where we hadn't had a lot of time, so they they decided they would take us on a two or three day vacation to a small town uh, a couple hours away from our home. And at that point in my life, I've admitted this to you before, so if you already judge me for this, I'm giving you more ammunition. But at that point in my life, I was somewhat obsessed with Michael Jordan. Just a little bit. Um, It's just one of those things about me. Sports and sports culture was my life to some degree. Um, And Michael Jordan was very, very popular for one brand at the time. Now, he was popular for a few, but the one brand above all was Nike. He put Nike on the map. So on that trip, my parents say, okay, kids, we we want you to be able to get a souvenir from this trip. And so they gave us $15 a piece. And I was in fifth grade, so I thought I'd hit the jackpot. They gave us $15 in cash and and told us to walk around, find what we wanted. Now, we had to walk with my parents. I'm the oldest, and I was in fifth grade, so that that was part of it. But we go into this mall where all kids love to go when you're in fifth grade. And we're walking through this mall, and I've got $15 of cash in my hands. And I don't even make it into a store before I see it. I see this thing that I just have to have. I see this thing that I could imagine Michael Jordan has one exactly like it, and he's probably wearing it right now. I see the thing that I know that if I don't spend my money on this, my life will never be full. My life will never reach its goal. We see this kiosk, and in this kiosk is this little bitty 10-carat gold how you know it's good. 10 karat gold ring my fifth grade mind knew I had to have. And on this ring was emblazoned a Nike swoosh. And it was $12, so I had enough. I knew it was good. I knew it's what I needed. And so I bought it. And you may be thinking, okay, that's harmless, that's funny, whatever. But a few days later, Upon further inspection, I realized a couple things about this ring. First, the Nike swoosh was backwards. (laughs) I had been taken for a fool. (laughs) I did not know the difference between real and fake. And on top of that, my mom noticed that it kept turning my finger green. (laughs) And she would no longer let me wear it. I knew this was what my life was going to be. I had this clear picture that this was what life was meant for, that I could be Michael Jordan. 
just like him. I could become like him if I just have this jewelry. And it wasn't even real, and it was causing me problems. Church, Jesus is life. He is the life. He is the source of life. He gives us life. And right now, this morning, I am concerned that all too often I replace the life Jesus gives for a cheap imitation that's not even going to make my life better. We know that life is found in Jesus, but we settle for temporary pleasure. Instead of cultivating self-control, which is a key part of the fruit of the Spirit, it's the last one on the list. It's a component of the life found in Jesus. Instead, we gorge ourselves on diets of fast food and sugar, which destroys our bodies, but at least it tastes good, right? Instead of storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, which will last forever, we build up treasures on earth that moth and rust destroy, that thieves break in and steal. We, we become like Ananias and Sapphira, who get so consumed with the things that we have, the things that we value here and now, that we don't understand, we don't get to take that stuff with us. We settle for temporary pleasure when Jesus is offering us life. We know that life is found in Jesus, but we settle for political power. Instead of heeding Jesus' words that greatness is defined by being the servant of all, we choose to participate in processes that tell us that if we want it our way, we have to legislate it our way. We choose to trust people who define greatness by money and power instead of by service and love. Instead of accepting the politics of the kingdom of God, where real change is found through God coming as king in the form of a baby, we choose to believe that the politics of our nations tells us the idea that Jesus is a nice concept, but it won't really lead to change. Humility is not important, and turning hearts to God is it's fine. Just leave it over there. We settle for political power when Jesus is offering us life. We settle, we know that life is found in Jesus, but we settle for success. Instead of sacrificing and considering others better than ourselves, we seek personal gain and accomplishments that benefit only ourselves. Instead of being like Paul and considering all of our accomplishments, all of our success as rubbish as garbage, as useless, we use our lives as opportunities to get ahead. We don't take the time to consider Jesus' questions. What does it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his life? Instead of receiving the life Jesus gives, we can be like the rich young ruler who values our success and our wealth and our stuff above the life we are called to live. We settle for success when Jesus is offering us life. Jesus is life. He gives us life. Our lives are found in following him. In church, we cannot keep settling for the knockoffs when life is just 
freely available to us. The light of Jesus, and we've been talking about this whole series, is just over here seeking to draw us to Jesus. It is promising that if we come, we will find life. The world is telling us that pleasure and power and success are life, but we know better. Jesus knows better. The Gospel of John is screaming that John knows better. He is telling us that what he experienced being around Jesus, what we can experience today, right now, is life. Church, it is simple. If you want life, come to Jesus. Our passage this morning reads, In him was life, and the life was the light to all people. Church, I believe that is true. I can see that it's beautiful. I can see that it happened, but here is the rest. Here's the point. It is still true today. We could read this passage like this and we would know the truth of it. In him is life. And the life is the light to all people. If you want life, come to Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we are mindful of the ways that we do not accept the life you give us, the life that is freely ours in Jesus Christ. And God, we ask that you help us. We ask that you redeem us, that you consider, can continue to work on us in ways that will help us receive the life that you so freely give. God, we are in awe of your goodness, of your mercy, and of your love. Continue continue to draw us to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.